Matthew O'Reilly is a critical care EMT in New York City. And in 2014, he gave a TED Talk, a uh, five-minute TED Talk, not the most polished of TED Talks you will uh, hear. He had his thick New York City accent. That might be boss. I don't know my accents. But, you know, it was like something like that. Um, but it was, it was pretty impacting, his five-minute talk. What he talks about is, in his profession in that city, many times he will come across a person who has is, is got minutes left to live. And they will ask him, am I going to die? The person only has minutes left to live. There's nothing they can do about it. And he says, I've got a dilemma. I can tell them the truth and then just have the, the terror of all that come to them or I can lie to them to try to comfort them. And he said in his early career, early part of his career, he always told, told the lie. He said, no, you're going to be fine. Until one day, at a motor, really bad motorcycle accident, he comes upon the person. They ask him, am I going to die? And he decides to give an honest answer. And he says, yeah, you're going to die. And he was shocked to find that the person didn't have terror. There was a sense of acceptance, a sense of peace. And from that moment forward, he decided that it wasn't his right to comfort the dying with lies. And he always gave an honest answer when he came across a person who was about to die and there was nothing that could be done. In this series that we're starting today and going for just a few weeks up to Easter, I want us to think about the honest answer to that question for ourselves. Am I going to die? Yes. Yes. And I think... As a church, sometimes we don't give the honest answer. I don't mean like up front in our messages. I just mean in like followers of Jesus as we interact with people. There's a man named Ernest Becker who is a Holocaust survivor. Brilliant, brilliant man. Sociologist, psychologist, he studied all kinds of things. He wrote this book called The Denial of Death in the 60s that people are still referring to over and over again. And his his um, assertion that he was making is that we cannot handle thinking about death as human beings. And so we push it down. But subconsciously, much of what we're doing, individually and as a culture, is to try to live as if we aren't going to die, to not have to think about it, to live in denial. And he says the human animal, he was at the beginning of his life not at all religious. The more he did, by the end of his life, he had a great appreciation for religion. But he said the human animal is in a hyper state of anxiety and constantly manufacturing things to be anxious over, even if they aren't really true. But it's all underneath. In Hebrews... 
the writer of Hebrews says, chapter 2, verse 14 and 15 says, since the children have flesh and blood, he, this is Jesus, too, shared in their humanity so that by his death he may break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. What this asserts is that what's common for us as human beings is to have a fear of death and to be enslaved by our fear to death. But when we have that, it's really usually at a subconscious level. It's not like we think, many of us think about it a lot. It's more like we avoid thinking about it. And so we, ways to distract ourselves, ways to, um, to just not think about it, way, we, that's why we glorify youth culture as a society. We don't want to be reminded that we're aging and dying. Now, in the church, one of the things that we will do as people are sick and is we will focus heavily on healing. And I think that is good. I think, in fact, most of us in the parts of church we've been part of don't, have not thought about healing enough, focused on healing enough. I believe, and we, we have seen healing, even some things that are like instantaneous here in, recent, in, in the last years, even things that are just like doctors. It's been a common thing over the 10, 11 years I've been here for us to be praying about something and the report to come back, doctors don't have an explanation. I believe in healing, and I believe that the amount of healing that's going to be released through this body of believers is going to increase in the days to come. I absolutely believe that. But I wonder if sometimes our focus on healing can be a way that we're in death denial. Like, even if healing is granted, what that means is a life is extended, but a person is still going to die. And one of the things I've been wrestling with as a pastor, because I so want us to pray for healing, to experience all the healing that God wants to give, but I wonder as a pastor, have we prepared people to die well? Have we prepared people to handle when their loved one dies? Or are we not giving an honest answer? Because what's clear to me is the Bible is full of ways in which it encourages us to be able to face death. But I don't know how we're doing at it. Now, I want to clarify one thing before I read the next passage, and that is there's a difference between the spirit of fear of death and the spirit of death. So I, when I say I want us to be ready to... Sorry, let me pull back one second because this will make more sense after I bring up a quote. This is from St. Benedict from the 6th century. He says, well, if you can put, go to the one before it, he says, keep death daily before one's eyes. Keep death daily before one's eyes. That's what his order does. Keep death... Now, contrast that to a culture that doesn't want to think about death, that does everything to avoid thinking about death. And this one says, keep death daily before one's eyes. But he says it in the context of the next quote. Here's what he really wants us to do. To desire eternal life with all the passion of the Spirit to keep death daily before one's eyes. That's what he encourages his followers to do, and that has lived out for centuries on those that continue to follow the Benedictine order. 
is this idea of we want to be passionate about eternity. We want to be aware of how big eternity is. So going back to the point I was starting to make and then interrupted myself before, when, I, when we keep death daily before our eyes, it's not because we fixate on death. It's not because we, we take on a spirit of death. It's not a suicidal thing. It's, it's none of that. It is more about remembering what is real and true. What is real and true? Having the perspective, how long is our life in light of eternity? Aubrey Schneider gave a message a while back where she talked, I think she had a big rope that went all the way across, and she talked about our life, a piece of tape, our life is this big, and then eternity goes from this side of the stage all the way to that side of the stage. And so we still have all of this left, but all we think about is this. I'm going to read parts of Psalm 90. It's a prayer of Moses, the man of God. Moses doesn't have, I don't even, I should know this, but I don't know if there are any other psalms attributed to Moses. But here's a guy who talked with God face to face and was his friend. Here are things he says. Lord, you have been our dwelling place throughout all generations. Before the mountains were born or you brought forth the whole world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. Eternity. You turn people back to dust, saying, return to dust, you mortals. A thousand years in your sight are like a day that has just gone by, or like a watch in the night. Yet you sweep, away, you, yet you sweep people away in their sleep of death. They are like the new grass of the morning. In the morning it springs up new, but by evening it is dry and withered. Verse 10. Our days, our days may come to 70 years or 80 if our strength endures says the man who lived over 100 years, but our days may come to 70 years or 80 if our strength endures, yet the best of them are but trouble and sorrow, for they quickly pass away and we fly away. If only we knew the power of your anger, your wrath is as great as the fear that is your due. And so here is the key verse, this next verse. Teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. If it is true, that there is something called eternity. And if it is true that God has offered a gift, a way to have eternal life with him, then knowing that and remembering that and keeping that before us, helping to see that our life right now is this long compared to this long, will make us more wise. Thinking about that hyper, hyper anxious animal phrase that that um, you know creates things to be anxious about, even if they aren't even there. So Thursday, uh, as I went to bed, I was I was stressed. Thinking about all the things that I have to do, all the things coming up the weekend, all the things coming up in the next month, work, personal life, all of that. So I couldn't sleep. Midnight. 1 a.m., I finally got up and just worked, got my laptop out, worked, figured like I'm half working in my head. I might as well you know, get something out of this. I went to bed somewhere after 3. For you, many of you might know the, the feeling. This is just... The next day, I read this psalm in the morning, 
thought, hmm, I should probably think about that when I'm thinking about the stuff I was thinking about last night. And then I went in the afternoon to two visitations, one in Sheridan and one in Pella. As I drove to the one in Sheraton, I listened to the song we just heard, and I listened to the song we're going to sing at the end, and I thought about what I was going to. The anxiety level went way down. I stood in line at each visitation, gave hugs, shared a few comments, drove to the next visitation, stood in line, listened to one say how she was there as her dad passed away. Her dad was the most important person in her life, and she was there in that moment. And in that moment, nothing else mattered. And my perspective in less than 24 hours was quite different. What I have before me isn't the end of the world. There's a Harvard professor who, when he was diagnosed with cancer, said that what it felt like was like the background music went off and all there was was silence. The background music was the daily life, that he's just all the things of daily life that he's constantly thinking about and with a sense of it's just going to keep on going for all. And all of a sudden, the daily life and the sense that it's always going to go just wasn't there and instead there's, there was a sense of nothing. You know, having gone to the visitations and interacting with funeral directors, I was reminded of when Camille's grandpa passed away. We were at the funeral home family, and one of the family members, after the funeral director went out, was like, I'd never want his job. Man, how depressing would that be? I said, well, you know, actually... Many of the funeral directors I know are like some of the most joyful people that I've ever been around. And another family member said, yeah, I've got a, one of my best friends is a funeral director. He is the happiest person I know. Why would that be? Why would that be? Could it be that they who have to see death every week have a perspective on what's really important in life? have a perspective of how great a gift life is when we have it. There have been over 100 studies since Ernest Becker's book on the denial of death that are on what does a person do when all of a sudden their own death comes front and center and they can't just quickly push it away. And what the studies consistently show is that if you are young, if you are middle-aged, then when the thought of death comes to you, you become insular. You become defensive. You, you, just, you just shut down. Look inward, get a little hardened. That is overwhelmingly the response. For those who have nearly died or are facing a, a life-ending disease or are elderly and so likely to have thought about death more, they find the response is more open. This doesn't quick shut them down because they have kept death before their eyes. And now we who have hope of life after death, we can think about death and not be afraid. 
we can think about death and be motivated by what do I want to see happen in my short life? So, you know, you stand in line and you read these things. This, this, this man lived 90, I don't know, 90 some, 95 years, I think. Yep, 95 years. And we get four paragraphs. What's going to be on your four paragraphs? Or one paragraph? Or two paragraphs? For the next few, three weeks, I'm going to give an exercise that I'm going to encourage you to do. If, if you put at least 10 or 15 minutes into it, at least you've done it. Maybe you go even and reflect on it a little longer. Maybe if you really want to maximize it, you talk with someone else about it. But here's the exercise for this week, and it has to do with write your own obituary. You could, do this at a, you could come at this a couple different ways. You could write, if I died today, what do I think people would write? What would be the highlights? Or, if I live another 10 years, what do I want people to write about me? You know, maybe doing both would be helpful. Or, write your own epitaph. Like, so obituary, think paragraphs. Epitaph, think phrase. What would someone put on a gravestone back when they put things on the gravestone? I had to do this for a seminary class when I was 25. One of the exercises, what do you want on your, what's your epitaph? Write your own epitaph. And I really didn't come up with anything that felt unique or whatever. I remember even as I handed it in, it felt like, oh, this is pretty generic. But my epitaph was, he was well-loved and he loved well. He was well-loved and he loved well. I really thought about that for years and years. But in thinking about this exercise, I thought about it. You know, it's kind of generic. When I die, if that's true. Good. And I hope the decisions I've been making for the last 22 years would be ones that would help me to be well-loved. I know I'm well-loved by God. And I would love well. And that would be most true to the people that are closest to me. That they would say that's true about me. But it would also be true of people I interact with that I wouldn't normally know. It's not just about the inside crew and my family. I want to love well beyond that. Because, you know, some of these things, what did we do? What's impressive? What looks like? But what does heaven say at the end? What does heaven write about me? Usually people don't write their own obituaries. Someone else writes it about you. What does heaven write about you or about me? Last passage, Acts chapter, I don't know what actually. It's in the book of Acts, which I can't even find, so I'll read off the screen. Now, when David had served God's purposes in his own generation, he fell asleep. David served what God wanted him to do in his generation, and then he died. 
that wouldn't be a bad epitaph either. I live for you, God. I did what you put me here to do. And then I died. Now, a lot of us reach for, I don't know what I'm supposed to be doing. I don't know what I... You know what? To love well, I don't have to know my precise life calling. I just do the best I can every day. Have the worship team come back up. Originally, this sermon series was going to be six weeks long. We are going to do it over the course of Lent. Every time I brought this up with elders and staff, they were like, it's kind of heavy. And I agreed that it's probably best that we do this for three weeks. Now, when we talk next week, um, it'll be a little different angle on it. And when we talk uh, in a couple weeks, and we just talk about funeral services, I'm mainly going to talk about funeral services. Because a lot of times, people start thinking about the funeral service after somebody died. People that have thought about funeral services before somebody dies, it's a lot different. So it will be a little heavy. But will will we live a better life if we never think about these things? Because it gets heavy. Will we live a better life? Will we live a better afterlife? Well, for a few weeks, can we do the exercise to keep death before us, to number our days aright, so that we live well? Let's pray. God, we're reminded that every breath is a gift. And we thank you that you didn't just give us the gift of breath. You didn't even just give us the gift of life. But you gave us the gift of your son, Jesus Christ, who would die in our place for the forgiveness of our sins. You gave us the gift of being aligned with him so that as he rose from the dead, we too can have life after death. You give us the gift of your Holy Spirit that we can know you now, that eternal life starts now and goes on forever. And so we thank you for your gifts. Would you teach us to number our days aright? Would you give us hearts of wisdom? Would you help us to live well? that in the littlest of things, because you are with us, eternities would be different. For we pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen.